This week's episode is brought to you by the brand new CommuniCoreWeekly.com. Completely redesigned by Kevin Leggett, it's now easier to navigate, easier to find out what episode where we did what on, and much, much more. Check it out today at CommuniCoreWeekly.com. And again, big thanks to Cadet Kevin for all his help. Hello, and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I have an important question for you, George. Yeah? Do you happen to remember Impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion Fun with Disney Trivia? Yes, because it was such an awesome idea. <laughs> and it just... We could never get the stupid phone books, to, phone booths I, to work right. I know, and I'm <clears throat> actually surprised I can say that as quickly as I could when we first started it. In case you guys forgot it, I'm gonna play the theme for you right now. Here, here we go. And if you still don't remember that, you know, go back to like episode 66 or like 78. There's a few of them, but especially episode 57 around mm-hmm. 12 minutes in, because that one is definitely one of our favorite ones of that segment. But yeah. like, like George just said, unfortunately, the UK phone booths no longer accept calls. Um, <laughs> and we're not taking total blame. for. We're that. not going to take total blame. We will no. take most of the blame. But um, not total blame. <laughs> but... We also tried calling other payphones at Disney theme parks and called it uh, Impromptu Random Disney <laughs> Theme Park Payphone Disney Trivia. <laughs> it was something I don't remember. The guys even made a new jingle for it, um, which we will play right now. Still a good theme, unfortunately. Yes, yes. We never got to use it because apparently nobody as a Disney, th- Disney theme park... Once answer payphone unless it's in a red phone box. So that's unfortunate. Oh, yes, that is. That is. Um, but we love this segment, and anytime we played it, we always got a lot of uh, great emails and comments from people about it. So we wanted to bring it back in some way. So we came up with a new idea. We're going to bring it back, but now we're going to call you directly, the listeners, the cadets at home. Oh, good, because <laughs> I was looking at my phone going, what? Well, I'm already what? talking to you, so I don't have to call yeah, you again. I mean, I could not ask you trivia questions, but... It could. I mean, with the swan, the swan boat, time boat technology, yes, That's true. Could. I could yes, be asking could. both of us questions with time travel. Oh, that'd be weird. <laughs> but would you recognize your own voice? I probably would, actually. Yeah. I hope. Okay. Question okay. mark? <laughs> anyway, Wait, if you want us to call you, you know, we, we'd be happy to. We'll ask you trivia questions. But make sure you can be available Tuesday evenings around, like... 8.30 uh, Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific Time, because that's the time we usually record the show. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're around during that time, send us an email at communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name and your phone number. And who knows, maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll be calling you guys and we'll continue to play this game because I love that segment so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to be able to say something quickly again. I don't know what the new segment's going to be called. It's going to be a surprise when the Communicorweekly Orchestra makes a new theme song for it, but... I'm excited. Are you excited? <laughs> oh, totally, because it's it's always a fantastic um, 
<clears throat> segment, especially when we uh, have to decide on what trivia questions to ask people. Yes, so. exactly. Also, yeah. heads up, we, George and I were just discussing before we started recording, uh, the hunters were definitely going to call you at 3 o'clock in the morning and ask you trivia yes. questions. Everybody wait, else, wait, you're wait, fine. Wait, 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 wait. 3 o'clock in the morning here is 6? Uh, yeah, so you'll be awake. It'll be like you're getting up for yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, it'll be like I'm getting up ready for work. So, yeah, that won't be a problem. Yeah, we can do that. that that's Fair good. Enough. That's good. Fair enough. Pick up the banana phone. Let's go to yep. the history segment. Make sure you drink your banana milkshakes with protein powder in them. So. It's time for Disney History. Test Track is one of the most popular attractions at Epcot at Walt Disney World. And not just because it's one of the very few attractions that's left in the park. Um, uh, uh. Zing! Sorry, that was my Munson. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this high-speed thrill ride takes you into a world of testing vehicles before they are sold to the general public, but now in this futuristic Tron-like setting. Uh, when it first opened, though, it was more along the lines of a regular testing facility, but the history of the attraction is a long, winding road, just like a few that you'd find in the attraction itself. Yeah, nice. So before tra Test Track, there was World of Motion one of the amazing original Epcot Center, and that's Epcot in all capital letters, uh, one of the original Epcot Center attractions. It opened on October 1st, 1982, opening day, and was a fantastic and a whimsical look at the history and achievements in transportation, showing scenes from the invention of the wheel right up to the present day and beyond. However, as much fun as it was, it just wasn't hitting a chord with the audiences in the early 1990s. Now, around that same time, uh, General Motors, the sponsor of the attraction, and the economy overall were really hitting the slump. You know, they had dwindling car sales, and GM can only afford to sign one-year contracts with Disney to sponsor the attraction. So, however, GM executives lobbied the idea to close World of Motion and completely change it into a thrill ride that focused specifically around their automobiles and not the history of transportation in general, kind of as a way to boost sales. Yeah, the World of Motion closed on January 2nd, 1996, and as soon as the doors were closed, everything inside the building was removed. Now, in 1976, Disney Imagineers had visited the Milford Proving Ground, owned by General Motors, to start work on World of Motion. Now, years later, they were making a second trip to the facility and work with GM to create Test Track. Now, in the new ride, guests would be put through the tests that a crash test dummy would normally go through, allowing them to really see what went into making of a vehicle before it was sold to the general public. A new track was constructed outside the building, which is used as the high-speed uh, test for test track, and then work inside the building also continued at the same time. Now, as early as 1994, before the world of motion was even dead, let alone in its coffin, Disney was promoting this new attractions to guests as, quote, a ride that would put tourists behind the wheel on a GM test track, end quote. By 1996, an article in the Orlando Sentinel had a quote from Al Weiss, executive vice president and head of Walt Disney World, that said, quote, when you come back to this pavilion next spring, you're going to be wowed. These are the most advanced ride vehicles ever developed, end quote. That's right. In 1996, he said, next spring. The entire transformation of the attraction was supposed to take place in a 19-month period, with the ride opening in 1997. Uh, however, it was delayed by nearly two years due to a number of problems coming up over time. One of the problems that the uh, Imagineers had to overcome was that the wheels used on the ride vehicles could not stand up to the demand of the ride course and the speed itself. They kept, you know, braking. So this problem was resolved, but a second, 
more severe problem caused the ride to be delayed by over a year. And in theme park years, that's like 10. I think like dog years. What's that in dog years? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Anyway, in, in order for Test Track to run with the highest hourly capacity possible, 29 ride vehicles would be needed. The ride program, programming system could only handle operating a maximum of six cars over the layout of the ride. One by one, programmers were able to get the computer system able to run 29 ride vehicles all at once. Also, the exterior track was supposed to be able to hit 95 miles per hour, but due to Florida's speed limit being 65 <laughs> and the steep banking of the corners, the top speed was lowered, causing much more testing to occur. Just let that sink, sink in for I a second. I can just see the uh, Orange County or Ross, you know, just with a radar gun. Just hanging out. Oh, just hanging excuse out. me, sir. That car, that car, Oslo. Just handing out tickets to every car. Yes. Um, there also would have been a section section where the car's tires would lose traction, uh, but this ate the tires up even more and had to be removed, causing new construction and more delays. And after these problems were resolved, uh, years later, Test Track Soft opened to the public on December 19, 1998. The ride was still prone to breakdowns and didn't officially open until March 17, 1999. Despite all the delays, when it did officially open, it was a huge success. Lines were crazy, and the crowds kept coming in. Now, flash forward to 10 years later in 2009, and GM was struggling once again. You know, it was also at this time that their sponsorship with Epcot was ending again, and they really didn't know what to do. You know, the company itself, GM, was saved only by this complicated plan that involved a controversial uh, federal loan and a month-long Chapter 11 reorganization and a lot of criticism. Mm. So once they got back on their feet again, as part of their massive rebranding and advertising of their new image, GM decided they need to update Test Track in order to keep up with the times. Despite the fact that millions of people each year rode Test Track, it was looking a bit outdated. Their showroom at the end of the attraction wasn't as sleek as it could have been, and many of the features of the ride, such as anti-lock brakes, weren't as cutting edge as they were in 1999. So, in January 2012, Disney announced plans to renovate the attraction, and by April 2012, Test Track closed for its massive overhaul. Sponsorships shifted from General Motors overall to General Motors Chevrolet division, and the attraction focused on the vehicles produced you know, very specifically under the Chevy brand. New additions to the attraction included a pre-show area where guests design a new car for testing in the Chevrolet Design Center, then board one of Test Track's existing six-passenger ride vehicles, known as Sim Cars, to see how their design fares on the center's driving course. The Sim Cars are the same vehicles from the original incarnation of the ride, but with a new skin to look newer. And even though the the, the, the entire track layout is the same, the entire thing was overhauled to give it a more futuristic feel. You know, the guests uh, designed now, you know, the cars that they designed, they undergo four different tests now. Capability, efficiency, responsiveness, and power. And in the capability test, the first car, uh, the it connects to the OnStar system, and then it accelerates past a rain-snow projection and skids out of control. Next, it continues uh, up a path and disappears, uh, and the sim car turns around to speed up again. And after that, the sim car makes a sharp left turn as a lightning bolt strikes. The car then passes a futuristic city, which some say kind of looks like uh, Center Core, the finale from uh, World of Motion. Following the capability test, the results of which car design scored the best in the test are displayed. The sim car then begins the efficiency test. In the first part, the sim cars are scanned 
for optimum eco-efficiency. The second test performs an aerodynamic test on the vehicle. Finally, a hyperspectrum imaging takes place. Again, after the test is completed, the best scores are displayed. The third test is responsiveness. Then the sim car accelerates around hairpin turns with laser projected trees. It then enters a tunnel to encounter the 18-wheeler from the original version, though it is now only shown with lasers. And when the vehicle enter exits the tunnel, the results for the responsive test are also displayed, and all of the test icons are displayed. And the uh, final test is power, where the sim car stops for a moment, then accelerates through flashing purple arches to a wall with the ride's logo on it, leading to the outside portion of the ride. As the sim car speed is increased, it takes it makes a right turn followed by a wide left, a straight section, and one final long left turn. Now, when the test is complete, the vehicle returns to the loading station, and the experience now concludes in a renovated showroom featuring current and future Chevrolet products, along with places to play games and make commercials with the car you designed, uh, your designed sim car earlier in the exhibit, uh, in the Chevrolet showroom. Now, the refurbished attraction first opened to guests during a soft opening on December 3rd, 2012. The ride officially reopened on December 6th, 2012, after receiving its rebrand. You know, I still have not been on the new test track. But you've been on something better than the new test track. What's that? The Radiator Springs Racers. Oh, that's a fair point. I have been on that. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me to think that I haven't been back to Walt Disney World since you know, since before the new test track opened. We were there yeah, in November 2012. That was the last time I was there. Yeah, that's true. It was right before it opened. That's wow. insane. We need to get you back down there. We do. We definitely or do. do something. But I need to get back out to California. That's a fair point. And you do. We both need to get to Disneyland Paris and Hong Kong Disneyland. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, anyways, Tokyo Disney um, Sea. Yeah. So we need to see all that. But uh, that's uh, for an Indiegogo campaign much, <laughs> much later. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, guys. Just kidding. Or are uh, we? Un unless. Yes, are we? <laughs> so uh, uh, we want to know what you think about Test Track or weigh in on your decision of Test Track versus. Radiator Springs Racers. We'd love to know what you think. Call us on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-GOAT. That's 424-785-4628. He's a nerd. He's a geek. Because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Okay, so we've looked at two other Star Wars novels over the past few months that have really blown us away. Tarkin impressed both of us uh, on the strength of the story and the characters that they presented while heir to the jedi surprised both of us with the intimate first person narrative of luke skywalker it was kind of strange for a star wars book both books got us really excited for the new film and the the number of books coming out over the next few months so does the new book star wars lords of the sith by paul s kemp Stand up to the two other books? Hmm? 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 Spoiler? <laughs> you know, much like the other books we just talked about, George just said, Lords of the Sith, uh, it focused intently on characters we know well, but on times of their lives we don't know a lot about. You know, this book takes place during the very early days of the Rebellion and shows us how a small splinter cell almost succeeded in taking out Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine, and more importantly, how the Vader-Palpatine dynamic really works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a rebellion on the planet of Ryloth, which is the where the, the Twi'leks come from. I've heard Twi'leks and Twi'leks. I like Twi'leks. I like we'll Twi'leks. Like um, so, and, and it's related to the uh, importance of spice production that apparently has made Ryloth 
a prime target for the Empire. They've, they're really they're occupying the planet. <clears throat> we meet Cham, Sindula, I'm assuming that's right, and Isval, who were leaders of the Rylothian Rebellion. And, you know, Kemp sort of takes us into Cham's inner circle to see how he plans to wipe out the Emperor and Darth Vader with one attack. Um, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. I mean, that, that but, alone sold me on the book. I was yeah. curious about that. <laughs> but, you know, still, Jeff, as Jeff mentioned, the book really does focus on Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader, especially at a time when no one really knows what Vader is capable of or who he is. Yeah, he's so, still a mystery, wrapped in an enigma, is. wrapped in a Wrapped riddle. in a black cloak. Sure. That okay, counts. We'll that works. That. All right. <laughs> As a kind of uh, small little side note, it's kind of great to see how these things are being interconnected, you know, all the extra media. Um, there's an offhand uh, comment that, which, what, how do you say his name? Cam? Cham. Cham? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cham has a daughter, apparently. It's mentioned in the book. And then later, we learn that the daughter's name is Hera, which, of course, we know because Cham is a Twi'lek. We know that his daughter will grow up to be one of the lead characters on the TV show Rebels. Um, and to me, that's kind of yeah. awesome. I mean, how this is all slowly interconnected. It's not in your face, but it's very subtle. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yes, Vader's power is not really known, and neither Zamper's for that matter. You know, even their partnership, and I use that word very loosely, isn't fully known at this point. And we can kind of see one of them testing the other one and vice versa in various situations and seeing how far the other will go uh, and what their limits are. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of political intrigue and drama in the book. And most of the story is told from the point of view of either Vader, Cham, the Imperial officer Belcor, or Moff Moors. That sounds so funny saying it out loud. Moff Moors? Reads well, but sounds funny. Yes. Uh, and it, it's a very intense storyline. And, you know, Kemp does a really excellent job of describing the action, which is hard to do in fiction, to describe battles and things like that, even space battles or lightsaber battles. Um, he, he keeps the storylines succinct and compact. And, you know, what's really good is he keeps them separate because he is talking about four or five different storylines going on. Uh, since the book takes place so closely after Revenge of the Sith, it, it's eye-opening to see the relationship between Vader and Palpatine. I mean, even after the events of Revenge of the Sith, it's still not obvious where Vader's allegiance lies you know, nor the extent of his true powers. And even, you know, the Emperor's abilities are still a mystery to everyone as well. And, you know, because of that, witnesses to his power, or rather, you know, those that can't be trusted, meaning most people that he meets, they need to be eliminated so they don't reveal his secrets. Um, but like George said, Vader is still a mystery to many people, and when he uses his power, you know, it often catches others, mostly rebels, by surprise. Because they really have no frame of reference for the dark side of the Force at this point. So, you know, seeing him in action and killing an entire squadron of people just kind of further fuels all the rumors and mysteries uh, swirling around him. That could be a new segment. Yeah. You know, Vader, Vader rumors. Vader rumors. We'll just come up with some Vader rumors. Um, well, just like Tarkin, the book Tarkin, it was a really odd sensation to read about Palpatine and Vader and, and be rooting for them. It's kind of odd. Not that you were really rooting for them, but just that you, you got to see their situations and understand what they were going through a little bit. Well, at least Vader. Um, you did. It, it, was, it was weird, you know, to read about them in a very dangerous situation you know, where they could be killed. But then you know that they're going to be alive to make other movies. So I guess it was just getting around to how are they going to get um, out of these pretty dire situations? Like, you know, figuring out how did Sherlock fake his death? 
you know, Makes that sense. sort of thing. You Makes know, sense. You know, yeah, he can't die. It, like there was any doubt whatsoever, <laughs> um, Vader and Palpatine are cunning and they're formidable foes. And despite, you know, all these things that are being thrown at them in the book, they survive, obviously, because I have to make some movies. Um, but like George just said, it's interesting to see the plans that they make to get out of the situation. And, and it's no wonder that Palpatine was really able to gain control of the Senate and form the Empire, you know, because it shows very clearly here how manipulative and smart he is. And Kemp does an excellent job of really digging deeper into the characters we know and love, loathe, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's one of those words. Uh, but suffice it to say, I think Star Wars fans are really going to enjoy this addition to the uh, new official canon that we've got since um, Iger threw everything out the window, <laughs> basically. I, I really enjoyed Kemp's style and appreciated the fact that uh, I found myself looking up a few words while reading the book. You know, Kemp's like style the, is very... And like what? A and <laughs> those words, right? It's got more than three letters. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, but, you know, his, his style is still very down to earth. But he knows how to use words and use the appropriate words when needed, unlike Jeff and myself. Um, Tough words. words. Yeah. So uh, Kemp is a very impressive writer, and I can't wait to see him delve deeper into this uh, new Star Wars universe. Uh, you know, I'm kind of bummed that his other Star Wars novels yeah. are no longer canon because they were good. Um, but this this Lords of the Sith was a great way for Kemp to kind of blaze a trail in a new official canon. And uh, like George, I'm really excited to see what they uh, let him do next. Um, I really thought Lords of the Sith is great. It was wonderful. And I think we highly recommend it. Yeah. So this week's book is Star Wars Lords of the Sith by Paul S. Kemp. You don't know what you know till we know you. You just don't know. Here's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. You know, since we got that swamp boat time machine technology working, I was wondering if we should take advantage of that special invitation we had to the splash party for the opening of River Country. Tell me more. Yeah, well, well, the party's going to be held Saturday, May 29th through Thursday, June 3rd, 1976. That's a long party, dude. It is. Hey, but hey, it's River Country. That's when you know, Disney did things right. Um, I know we need to get our budget prepared. So they they are offering they're offering the grub steak for fifty cents, which is a cheeseburger with strips of bacon, dressing, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. So not I can do that. The Wrangler is thirty five cents. It's just a cheeseburger with dressing, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. So I guess the bacon. The bacon is the big draw cents. on that other burger. There. Yeah, and then the next one is called the Prospector, which is a hamburger. So the cheese obviously cost five cents. Okay, I'm, I'm getting a hang on this budget thing now. The exactly, cost, cost of living. So, yeah, so then, they, but they also offer the lumberjack, which was forty-five cents, and that was a quarter-pound hot dog. Oh, whoa, well, I can really, yeah, we do that. And then the cowpoke was a regular hot dog, and they sold that for thirty-five cents. You know, but just a regular size hot dog, just a regular hot dog. That's what it says. The I'm curious to know how much a regular size hot dog weighs. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not a quarter pound. Clearly not. Clearly not. Maybe half of that. I'm not sure. But, you know, there are other things like they uh, are going to sell beer for 50 cents and kosher dill pickles, dill pickles for 15 cents. This is insane. I need to I think those get are in insane on this. Prices. So, we yeah, can live like kings, George. <laughs> yes, we can because we can tell them exactly what's going to happen. Well, I was just thinking the, because the food's really cheap. I well, wasn't thinking got, anything else. Gray Sports Almanac, right? I, I already have one of those. It's just outdated. Yes, it ended this year. Good. Oh, crap. 
Well, if we go back to 1976. Oh, fair point. We can do that. Yeah, we can do that. So, great. Now we can go back and tell everybody, now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. While you're testing all the curves on your car uh, and test track, you'll come across some nice tributes to World of Motion and the original version of Test Track. Uh, but for this five like ago, it's we're going to talk about one that harkens back to the original version of Test Track. When you're on the performance track, there are some signs that call out Motion Drive, General Motorway, and Chevy Lane. And these are all tributes to three experiences that used to reside in the building before everything else was updated to the new Tron-like Test Track. Now, wasn't Chevy Lane? Wasn't that Clark Kent's girlfriend? No, no, no. It was. It was a. It was a song. Chevy Lane is in my that one. <laughs> How long are we gone without singing? I don't know. An episode. But you couldn't couldn't resist that one. No, I couldn't. Wow. That was too easy. Too Not easy. That's okay. Well, well, something else that we can't resist is giving out more prizes. Yay! Are you saying and we can't you- resist it because we're contractually obligated to finish it throughout the year? I guess. Okay, fair enough. Maybe. We can't so. resist giving away prizes. <laughs> In our year of a million or so, limited time cadets, if you remember, we're giving out a weekly prize every week, which makes it a weekly prize. Way to go, George. Um, yeah. All we ask is that you email. If you want to be part of the, the, the prize drawing every week, email communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name, your address, obviously, so we can mail your prize out to you, as well as your birthday, because we're also giving out some uh, special birthday treats every month. Well, they're not treats. You can't eat it. Well, I mean, I you could. Can. You could, but if you're missing your fiber quotient. Anyway, sorry, we're getting off like we ever get off topic about anything. Uh, this week is a special Dollywood prize pack from me. Yay! Because when we were there, we picked up some things. A giant box of Dollywood Saltwater taffy. Sorry, brain stopped. I was like, I was did you forget else. what it was? Are you looking right at it? And you can't even no, see no, what no, it is. No, I was looking at one of the other prizes. So a giant box of Dollywood taffy, a Dollywood pen. I'm excited about that. A Dollywood mug. Unfortunately, the coffee mug didn't have a name on it because I didn't know what the cadet's name would be that would win the prize. But I did pick up a mug, and I'm picking up right now, <laughs> from Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies. And it actually says, they didn't have my name on the mug. So that way it was perfect. (laughs) I didn't have the cadet's name, so I got this mug. So that's two mugs, a pen, and a box of taffy from Dollywood. I'm so excited. And this week's prize is Kevin W. from Orlando, Florida. Hooray! And don't forget, you can still enter the prize giveaway as well. Just email us, communicorweekly at gmail.com. Wow. I guess after that, we should end the show. We probably should now. (laughs) Before we get into too much trouble. But uh, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please, however you listen to the show, whether it's on YouTube or iTunes or just hanging out with your friends, be sure to leave us a comment and and rate us on iTunes. Yes, as we've mentioned a couple times, email communicoreweekly at gmail.com. Not only to enter the contest, but to give us your cell phone number or telephone number so we can call you for the trivia yes please Yay. and of course like us on the facebook at facebook.com slash weekly yep you can follow both of our shenanigans on twitter and instagram i'm at imaginerding 
He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And don't forget to visit Communicore Weekly and go to the Communa store on our site to buy cool stuff. Or just you can get your shirts at communicoreweekly.spreadshirt.com. And of course, if you want to get your official cadet membership card and stickers, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.L. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856, and I will get that right out to you immediately. And visit patreon.com slash Weekly and help support the greatest online show. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Buffalo suitcase.